Hello everyone, welcome to this edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we take a look back at what's been happening in the world of pharmacy over the past week. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainus, editor of the Matt Hancock Appreciation Society. Well, you're going to get me going again, Richard. Don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. Neil, of course, from Independent Community Pharmacist. After our visit to the pub last week, we're spread all over the place for this week's recording. Neil and I are in London, Rob zooming in from just outside Basingstoke, and Arthur's in Dublin. And more about that later in the pod. But let's kick off straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Rob, who's had a good week for you? Afternoon, Richard. I think it's been a good week for vaccine manufacturers. So I think this week we've seen uh, the announcement of government contracts to the Scottish firm Balneva for 50, 60 million doses of a vaccine if they can produce one that passes all the clinical trials. And also an announcement from Wachart that they are going to be, well, they've been engaged to produce doses of vaccine as and when one is available for use. And there's a, uh, it looks like there's a sort of a tie up there with AstraZeneca and and uh, Oxford University. So um, I'm beginning to wish I had a vaccine manufacturing plant down the back end of my garden because uh, these contracts are, are going out like crazy. You know, it struck me a little bit. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, I was thinking about mug punters going to the Grand National and, uh, you know, b- backing about 15 horses in the same race. Uh, but hopefully one of them's going to come off, or, or more than one of them's going to come off, and we're going to get some vaccines at some point. Let's see what happens. Um, and just on a, just as an aside on the whole vaccine and testing front, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm mightily confused about what is and what isn't allowed now about testing and who can do it and who's able to be tested. So if anybody could enlighten me about that at some point, I'd be highly grateful. Yes, because wasn't there an announcement this week that there's going to be uh, antibody testing kits launched that are going to be, you know, for home use? And um, that was kind of touted as a as a good thing in the press, wasn't it? And yet we got the GPHC kind of now warning pharmacists away from it. So, yeah, Rob, I don't know. I'm completely confused by the whole testing thing. Yeah, we we would welcome some clarity on it from anyone, really. You presume, uh, presumably by the time that these um, home use tests are launched, the public health case won't have moved along very much. So um, it sort of puts the GPHC in a funny position, doesn't it? Because they've really clamped down hard, much more strictly than any of the other regulators. Yeah, you, and you've, you've, of course you've got, you've got pharmacists on social media actually saying, well, we're going to do it anyway. Whether, they don't, whether they're not aware of the GPHC's stance, and you've actually, I know of two pharmacists on Twitter have, have said, um, I think we've run a story on one of, the, one of them saying that uh, they're, they're, they're very keen to roll out antibody testing and um, in the pharmacy, partly in the pharmacy, clearly against what the GPHCs are saying they should be doing. So it'd be interesting to see how that one uh, evolves in the coming weeks and months. Well, it's a, it is a very confusing situation. I know the GPHC stance has certainly um, got some pharmacists quite riled, um, and there's just a heck of a lot of confusion, as Rob has said. So well, we'll, we'll see where that one goes. Neil, what about you? Who's had a good week in pharmacy for you? Well, I've, got, I've gone for quite a tentative good week I suppose because we don't know how it's going to pan out I, I guess but I've gone for the NHS England 
purely because of yesterday they, they held a national roundtable discussion on inclusive pharmacy pr professional practice um, in an attempt to create a cross-sector national commitment to embed inclusive pharmacy professional practice into everyday practice. And obviously that's, you know, with everything going on around equality and diversity, uh, that can only be a good thing. Um, the reason it's a tentative good week, I suppose, is we don't know how it's going to if it, what's going to come of it, if anything at all. Um, I suppose if there's any anything negative to say about it, uh, judging again by what we read on Twitter, uh, it, it, it wasn't publicised earlier. People didn't seem to know about it until, until the day before. Uh, there were questions over whether BAME pharmacists uh, were invited or, or not. We still don't know who actually was there in terms of were individual... Uh, black and ethnic minority pharmacists there to hear how they can engage, how they can get involved and, 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 and you know, engage with, with, the, with the talk. Um, and also whether the outcomes from the event itself will be published. Is this going to be, a, you know, what will, we, what will we actually see from it? So um, it's a bit early because only, it only happened yesterday, um, of course, but um, the PSNC, the RPS, uh, APT UK and others, other major bodies were there, we, we're, we're led to believe. That's a positive. Um, but tentative because we don't know, you know, what's going to come from it, really. I guess. So, what's the the remit of the, this coming together of the pharmacy bodies? Then, what's what's the end objective in mind? Well, they're they're looking to sort of understand why you know inequalities in everyday pharmacy practice exist, uh, and of course, this is not a new subject. The inequalities in well, all walks of life, but in, in pharmacy, they've been apparent for for decades and uh, for a variety of reasons. Un, you know, unconscious. Bias is another one, a term we've heard so much over the last uh, three or four weeks. You know, things that are very hard to pin down, not obvious. You know, not, it's not, we're not talking about overt discrimination here. We're talking about things that are just interwoven into, into our sort of subconscious, but end up causing inequalities. And I think the bodies have come together to sort of look at how, why and how uh, these, these problems exist within pharmacy practice. So I'm, ho I'm hoping that, you know, they'll come up with some positive answers and some, and some practical solutions and I don't know again we want, we'd like to see the report published to understand you know what they're going to be doing and that, that's the most important thing I think a bit of a uh, clarity. Well it's, it's clearly a good thing isn't it the, the, the sector the profession is now taking this issue very very seriously which is a good thing yes but is it it's a bit I suppose like the Black Pharmacists Association was saying last week um, coming together and talk about talking about it is important but what's more important is what happens next and, and yes. what are the outcomes um, and how do we change behaviours within, yes. the, within the profession. So if that group achieves some of those things, then that's a very positive yes. step and forward. And they were there as well, the black pharmacy. Of course, of course they were there. We did ask uh, just to check because you never know some of these major events, particularly if they're held by NHS England, sometimes people get left out. And uh, yes, the Black Pharmacists Association were there. And Elsie, who you interviewed uh, last week, Richard, um, lovely lady, she told, she told me that uh, you know, they'd, they'd be very, more than happy to sort of update us on whether that was a satisfactory um, you know, uh, discussion. It would be interesting to see how she, how she sort of uh, interpreted it. Great. Well, I think that's, that's very positive. That's a good, good week there. Arthur, what about you? Uh, over in Dublin, looking on us from afar, um, who's had a good week for you? From afar, yeah. Uh, belatedly a good week for community pharmacy employers who have uh, they, they came under fire earlier in the summer for not having reported any workplace related cases of COVID-19 uh, I think that was at the start of July whereas yesterday um, uh, there's a parliamentary question and emerged that six cases have been reported since then so they appear to be taking their 
responsibilities under the RIDOR regulations a little bit more seriously. Good. So the PDA will be pleased about this, Arthur? Have they, they greeted this with...? They'll be very pleased about this. They've been very um, strident on this. And at the beginning of the week, they wrote to the GPHC saying, are you going to you know, put pressure on employers to, to report any COVID cases? So uh, I, I don't know what the, the, the outcome of that was, you know, whether the GPHC will pursue this, but definitely something that the PDA will be pleased about. All right, so that's a good week from Arthur. Um, for me, it's been a, a good week, a, a truly memorable week, in fact, for all the pre-registration pharmacists starting their year's experience, and of course, all the, the newly registered pharmacists too, although I suppose that should be provisionally registered pharmacists this year. All of them embarking on their career journeys and such an exciting time. I've loved seeing on Twitter their enthusiasm and optimism and complete lack of cynicism, which is just so refreshing. And actually, I do think it's important that us older, more weathered pharmacists do all we can to look after and mentor and support these, these bright and motivated young men and women so they keep their spark and energy and their ambition for as long as possible. The real world will come a-knocking soon enough and they have so much to offer. So good luck to all of you. Go smash down some walls, propel us forward as a profession and I think our future is in very safe hands. So a good week for all our pre-regs and newly registered pharmacists. Here, So now we have something a bit different for you. We thought it would be interesting to find out what the experience of Covid has been like in other countries and how pharmacies in particular have been dealing with the pandemic outside the UK. So we sent Arthur across to Ireland on expenses and this is his postcard from Dublin. Hello from Dublin where it is a typical Irish summer's day which is to say about 17 degrees and pretty grey. I understand it's a little bit warmer in London. Um, I'm here, I've managed to sneak off for a week after five long months spent within the confines of the M25. It was a bit of a last minute decision until very recently the Irish government was imposing strict quarantine rules on arrivals from Britain, but these have been relaxed somewhat since. Uh, conscious this could be my last chance to see my family if we're back in the lockdown by the autumn, I booked a very cheap Ryanair flight and so here I am. Uh, initial observations are that the pubs are open, sort of, and the people as warm as ever, but the overall public mood is somewhat stricter than in London. More than one person warned me before I came here that not everyone would be pleased to see me, and indeed a few friends have said they'd better not risk meeting up. Public signage reminding us of the social distancing guidelines seems bigger, brasher and more ubiquitous than I'm used to, and people's efforts to give one another a wide berth in the street a bit more exaggerated. But on the whole, people here seem to still enjoy a clear sense of common purpose, which to my mind has dimmed a little in England since the, since the early days of the pandemic. There have been a few bungles and U-turns here, to be sure, to be sure, to be sure, but nothing like the circus Boris and Chums have been putting on each week. Certainly no scandals to equal Dominic Cummings' trip to Durham. Um, we won't know until the dust settles what the best approach to this pandemic might have been. But in the absence of sure answers, picking a course of action, sticking to it and earning the consent of more or less everyone on the island seems to have been good for Irish morale, not to mention mortality rates. So wasn't that interesting to hear about the Irish experience of, of COVID? Arthur, it's, it's fair to say that they're doing some things very differently over there, but pharmacists clearly facing many of the same issues as pharmacists here in the UK. 
Absolutely, yes. I spoke this morning to Tomas Conifery, who's got a pharmacy in Dublin city centre. And a lot of what he said, it could have been one of our readers in England talking. He spoke about a massive uh, demand for prescriptions in March and April that sort of calmed down now. He spoke about abuse that he, he and his staff had unfortunately been subjected to by kind of panic-stricken patients. And he spoke about what he described as a, a lack of support from the Irish government and feeling that they were at the back of the queue when it came to the health service. So um, a, lo- a lot of familiar themes shone through. And has the government there put more money into the system to cover those increased costs? There is some businesses can claim for grants, although they, 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 they seem to be quite selective about who, who, they, who they give them to. Tomas had applied for a grant and been rejected. I see. Now, and you touched on this um, in, in your piece, but it, it seems things haven't quite returned to normal in Ireland in the same way they haven't returned to normal in the UK. How did you find just general life out there in Dublin? I mean, it's it's very nice to be home, obviously. Um, I do find the, the mood is a little bit more, um, uh, how would you say? I think people are still policing themselves and others more than in the UK. Um but I, I would sort of relate that to perhaps just clearer messaging the whole way through from government. Um, I think in like in England, you had the debacle with Dominic Cummings halfway through and you had a lot of U-turns and bungles. There's been a few U-turns and bungles in Ireland, but a lot more in England. And I think that sort of um, strained the relationship between the the government and the governed more so than in Ireland. Yeah, that, that was great, Arthur. It was a great piece. Really enjoyed listening to that. And uh, travel back safely, and I'll, I'll see you back in the office on Monday. So now it's time for Bad Week. Uh, I'll kick off. This time, for me, it's been a bad week for pharmacy numbers in England. So, according to PSNC, there has been a net decrease of at least 139 community pharmacies in England since 2018-19. Arthur did this story. It's gone down from, uh, according to PSNC, 11,539 to 11,400. Now, it's actually quite a bit harder than you might think arriving at an accurate figure for for net closures or even real-time numbers of pharmacies, as we found out for ourselves recently. It's all to do with OCS codes and, and things like that. Nevertheless, this trend does seem to be going in the wrong direction. And once again, you've got this very stark dichotomy where you have demand for pharmacy services and advice going up, as we've seen from COVID. And there's now quite a bit of research out there that's supporting this. Yet closures can only really reflect, I think, the financial straits that the sector finds itself in, no matter what the government says. And PSNC observed, and they're right, the patient behaviours are clearly changing. So something has to give. But there's no news yet from the Treasury overfunding uh, to do with COVID or otherwise. So I'm sorry, but it's a bad week for me for pharmacy numbers in England. Arthur, who's had a bad week in pharmacy for you? Uh, Well, Richard, it could be a very bad week if you are in a manufacturer of uh, common analgesics like uh, uh, paracetamol or NSAIDs or benzodiazepines. Because NICE has come out with new guidance saying that there's a very little proven efficacy in cases of chronic pain and something like, uh, for a lot of patients, something like gentle exercise should be prescribed over these drugs. I mean, I, 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 I don't know too much about it, but I presume these 
a lot, a lot of these drugs would be quite nice little learners for, for manufacturers. So if prescriptions start to dwindle, that could hit them quite hard. Yeah, yeah, it could. It's an, it's an interesting one, Arthur, that, because um, I looked at this this week. Of course, it's draft guidance, so um, it does go out to public consultation now, and I think that there are a couple of weeks where the, the, the public can ch- chip in. So it might not be the final guidance, but it, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's very radical, you know, for dealing with, with chronic pain, you know, for patients and for, for manufacturers of, of those pharmaceuticals. I, I just wonder how practical it's going to be if it should ever um, become final guidance from NICE. So it's, uh, I can't quite see how this will be implemented, but it's interesting direction of travel, isn't it? And, and the move away from um, pharmacology to more naturalistic approaches like um, TENS machines and acupuncture and things like that. They were the nice... Herbal, re- herbal medicine. Yeah, herbal, yeah. Me- herbal remedies, things like this. Mm. So... Hmm. Um, interesting one. I think that's going to be quite controversial, actually, as the consultation continues. But we will see where it goes. Uh, Neil, who's had a bad week for you? Well, I've gone for. Uh, you might think it's a bit harsh this one, and um, maybe not a great week rather than a bad week. But I've gone for the GPHC and the chief pharmaceutical officers and uh, all the other bodies that are involved in the in the. Um, attempt if you like to sort of bring academic study and practical learning closer together for for pharmacists uh trainee pharmacists uh now this has been a long-standing desire of uh, uh within the profession really you know bringing that kind of academic study and the on and the you know the on the job practical uh, uh experience within the pharmacy bringing that uh, closer and it's, it's it's a very good um uh, um cause it's a very good it, we, we all want that to to, to to happen it would only improve the quality of training and education for pharmacists i think um but the pda have uh, and they're very we all know they're very quick to jump on things and they've um picked it apart uh, actually and um, and they've to be fair to them they have come up with some very valid criticisms of it uh there's a lack of detail in the proposals the first thing they said uh, which is never a good thing, and 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 I can sort of go along with that. Really, I think there is a lack of detail. Look, we we don't. There isn't too much there to flesh out at the moment. Um, uh, the other thing is, of course, is that um, that the proposals are, are being rushed through, which is uh, also uh, uh, not a good thing. But, you know, this is a great thing to be embarking on, and we want to do it properly. By all means, let's do it. But let's not. Let's not. You know, make a, a mess of it. We're rushing it through, and um, you know, in, in Wales. Uh, they, uh, which the PDA picked out, where they've had a two-year lead time on this to sort of uh, work it through, you know, gradually and, and take their time over it. In Scotland, they're the same, um, and clearly um, the GPHC um, et al uh, are not going down that road. And this, these are big, you know, big changes, um, you know, afoot. Um, so I, it's not been. Yes, we all know that the the aims are, are, are great, but the the execution at the moment. Not so great, so perhaps not a not a great week for. But you might think that's a harsh one. It'd be interesting to hear what you think. Would Would you not say that? I mean, obviously, the, 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 those are very valid concerns about the lead time. But would you not say it, the document last week is more of a broad statement of intent rather than these are our proposals? Well, not in not in the not in the eyes of the PDA, it's not. And and I I kind of tend to agree with the PDA on this. I think it, it seems like it's just more than. A statement of intent. I think that they're looking to push this through, and, and they—that's the impression I get from reading uh, some of the material from the GPHC. They're really looking to press ahead with this. I think we've been waiting long enough, haven't we? It's not like it's new. This is nine. These these proposals are nine years old, uh, and and so you know, I think there's a. I mean, it's very easy to say there's not enough detail. There's never enough detail for some people, 
you know, there's a there's lots of evidence about how professionals, the best way to train professionals, and um, I, I'm I'm kind of with Arthur. I think I think it's it's something that needs to be worked through. But just saying we don't like it because it's different doesn't really isn't really helpful. Particularly since particularly since uh, there was a group that spent two years thinking about this back in two thousand and nine two thousand and eleven. Yeah, well, the idea isn't new. You're absolutely right, Rob. I mean, it's it's been you know, this is bringing academic study and, and practical uh, clinical experience to get closer together. That's been that's that's an old an old idea that hasn't been remotely close to being executed. The idea is not new, but the the way the way in which the way in which it's going to be executed or should be executed, uh, and some of the some of the details that have come out, which are, as, as the PDA say, you know, not fleshed out enough at the moment. That is new. And, some, and, and I think you have to bear in mind in actually executing these plans, not the idea itself, just you know, executing each, each and every point that, come, that the GPHE and all those other guys have come up with, that, that does need careful consideration. I mean, it, this is not something you can just steamroller into. I think you need to, you know, I mean, the PDA, just to give you an example, you know, the, a, a lack of consideration uh, to major reforms of uh, early training of, of pharmacists at universities. Um, you know, that's, that's, the idea is, has been there well established, but in practicality, in practical terms, actually executing it because the world changes quite quickly as well. Things change over years. You know, it's not the same. We're not in the same place now as we were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, you know, I, I think I'm with the PDA. I think you, 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 can't rush, you, you can't rush into this. But it takes, five years to, it takes five years to train a pharmacist, Neil. So you can't do something, you can't do something tomorrow. Um, you know, the whole thing has to be thought. But, it, but if, if action had been taken in 2012 or 2013 or 2014 or 2015, we wouldn't have had whole cohorts of students, uh, you know, coming into the profession uh, under, the old, under the old system. That's how long, that's how long it's been. But the other thing, I mean, that's absolutely true. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But the other, the other thing you've, you've got to bear in mind here is, is that, you know, there just hasn't been enough consultation with, with students and, and, and pre, not just pre-reg uh, uh, tra- tra- uh, students, but also the provisional uh, uh, pre-reg, you know, those, those, those guys who were put onto the register provisionally during the COVID-19 pandemic. There hasn't been enough consultation with, uh, uh, through all of this. I think there will be a consultation on on these changes with the provisional re- registrants. No, I mean there there wouldn't have been time. I don't know what kind of purpose it would have served to, to do a consultation on that. But I do think that for for these changes, the the plan is to to do a proper consultation. Well, there hasn't there hasn't been so far, and that's that's for me that's a concern so far. And they and they and it's as I said, it seems to me that there's some way down the road with this already. And I think they should have had that consultation by now, to be honest. Yeah, we, we talked about this in last week's pod. Didn't we? I think we probably all agreed that this is the direction forward. And it's probably the, the, the speed at which this has come out. And, and it is kind of um, worrying people a lack of detail. But I think nobody can uh, disagree with the need to bring together kind of in practice learning with, with academic work. I suppose... I thought what what surprised me about it was how quickly they want to bring it in, and also that the work on um, initial uh, education training for pharmacists had kind of been on pause. It hadn't really got anywhere because people were were raising all sorts of you know objections um, at the uh, 
at the consultation stage when the GPAC was pushing this forward. So I think I'm just slightly surprised by the, the speed with which it's, it's going through. Yeah. I, think part, I think part of the issue, Richard, is that England's starting to lag behind other parts of the UK now because it has been in the doldrums for so long. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the challenges is that if you've got um, schools of pharmacy outside England pushing forward with, with, with different programmes, then given that this all started as a, as a modernising pharmacy careers uh, initiative in England, that does look a bit odd. And just because it's complicated and difficult doesn't mean that if the evidence base on which, it, on which the case was built is right, and I think it is, um, it's, it's disappointing that it's taken up this long to, to, ha- to happen. And just playing devil's advocate, just playing devil's advocate for a moment. That's absolutely, that's a very good point, Rob. And I think, you know, going back to your earlier point, you could say that we've just spent so much time, you know, talking about it, not doing it. We probably lost 10 years. And when the world is changing as quickly as it is, Wales is definitely, for instance, in fancy pushing ahead, isn't it? They've got very clear ideas about what they want to do with the, with the pre-registration experience or coming into the umbrella of the NHS. So, yeah, England is lagging behind and there is a, a need for some kind of urgency in, in pushing this forward, I guess. But a lot of details still to come. The timings are, are interesting, uh, but we will be reporting on this uh, very closely, watching this very closely, I'm sure, over the months ahead, because it seems to be something that's, that's really taking off now. Uh, Rob, who's had a bad week for you? I think uh, it's been a pretty, not a great week for the government um, in, in its dealings with face masks and PPE. So we've had the news this week that 50 million face masks bought by the government in April will not be used in the NHS because of safety concerns. Um, the safety issue is, given how they've been produced, they might not actually stay on your head. Um, and they, they were bought for healthcare workers from a supplier called Iander Capital as part of a £252 million contract, which is an extraordinary number. So that hasn't been too great. Um, the, um, the, the government recently got a bit of a shellacking from the National Audit Office in its first official assessment of the supply and distribution of PPE in England by government organisations. So they're not really um, covering themselves in much glory here. Um, just as a final thing, there's one bit of good news in that the government PPE portal is now open to pharmacies to use for the first time. So... Um, uh, pharmacies can now use this particular central portal, although PSNC, I think, are telling people that uh, for the time being, they should use wholesalers as normal. But I was particularly interested in this. Uh, th- th- this uh, new portal service is a collaboration between, get this, the Department of Health and Social Care, eBay, Clipper Logistics and the Royal Mail. So let's just hope that the smart Alex who bought 50 million masks that don't really work, don't try and flog them again back to the government via eBay, uh, because that clearly is a bit of a possibility there, isn't it? And in fact, I've got a small, I've got a small number of masks from a pack that we've had around here for a while that I think I might put on eBay and see if I can flog them back to the government. Because that sounds like a good plan to me. The government hasn't covered itself in glory. We've heard that a few times during this pandemic, haven't we? I thought I'd just tee you up, Neil. <laughs> you've t- you've, you've, the engine is hot. <laughs> 
So now it's any other business and uh, exciting news for you. We have a new feature for you. The Talking Pharmacy Rant Line is open for business. So we'll, we'll open the rant line in a couple of minutes. But um, any other business? Neil, what do you have for us this week? Well, I'm just going to ask yourself and, and, and Rob whether I could borrow your RPS membership so I can uh, pop down to John Lewis and get myself a new pair of shoes. I mean, this is um, quite exciting stuff, isn't it? Any, any takers, guys? <laughs> I'm having all that discount for myself, and it's extra for fellows, actually. Does it work in Burger King? I'm not sure. It's extraordinary, <laughs> isn't it? This, uh, well, apparently, uh, it's, it's going, down a, um, going down a bomb with members of the RPS. <laughs> yes, like, yes. I'll have, to, I'll have to Google the uh, Royal College of General Pe- Practitioners uh, John Lewis discount scheme or, or Donald's, see if they do the same thing. I'm sure they do, don't they? The BMA, do they do that? Sure. Well, uh, uh, a very close colleague of ours has saved, is it £44 on a pair of shoes from Apparently, John Lewis? yes, he, did very, he was very happy, wasn't he? He was, he was very happy, and uh, let's be honest, he doesn't put his hands in his pocket that often. No, so. and he did say it's the best value he's had from his membership ever, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he did say that, Neil, but um, let, let's, hope he's, let's hope he doesn't make it to the end of any other business. Um, Rob, any other business, what have you seen that's tickled your fancy? Well, actually, I, I, I saw the RPS has introduced a new parlour game. So if you're stuck for something to do on one of these long, long nights after a uh, hard day's work uh, in the pharmacy or, or elsewhere, um, given that the RPS has just put together a new group with the handy acronym ABCD, um, see if you can continue the name of that group with the rest of the letters of the alphabet on the same theme. So have a bit of fun with that. And if anyone manages to do that, send it in. We'll read it out. I, I happen to know that Rob has done that. He's gone, <laughs> spent some valuable time yesterday going from A to Z. So, um, yeah, that would be quite good. Yes. So if someone could take us all the way from A to Z, send it in. Uh, we'll read it out. Uh, nice one, Rob. Arthur, what about you over there in, in Dublin? Anything to tell us? I was just going to say RIP John Hume, who's passed away this week after living with dementia for many years. Uh, he was a massive figure in Northern Ireland civil rights movement and very instrumental in bringing about peace in Northern Ireland and just a really iconic figure, I think, on the whole island of Ireland. So, um, yeah, go well, John Hume. So now we have a new feature for you. The Talking Pharmacy Rant Line is open for business. If you want to get something off your chest, send it into the Rant Line and we'll play it on the pod. You'll feel better, I promise. Only rules are, keep it to 20 seconds or less. The more humorous, the better. Doesn't have to be about pharmacy. Don't make it personal. So, let's see who's on the rant line this week. Mike Hewitson here. A bloody face mask is a bloody face mask, not a bloody chin strap. If it doesn't cover your nose and doesn't cover your mouth, then it's no point bloody wearing it. My pharmacy rant is this. What is the point in prescribers changing patients from warfarin to rivaroxaban during the covid pandemic uh, despite Bayer saying that there are no restrictions or quotas on rivaroxaban every time i order it from my wholesalers they quote us on it and, and won't send us any so it's just a total waste of everybody's time that's my rant over thank you quotas it's an absolute scandal we're wanting to spend money with these companies and they're restricting what we can spend in the interests of our patients. I had the misfortune to speak to a lady about an inhaler that was on quota we had exceeded and asked her if she would speak to the lady in the shop who was requiring this inhaler and explain to her why she couldn't have it. 
And the lady said, that's not my problem. It is an absolute disgrace that we are stuck with this dreadful situation, which has now been with us for several years and the Department of Health has neglected to sort it out. I can't say any more without swearing. Quotas have to be addressed if we are to do our job properly. <laughs> Some great rants there. Thank you to Mike Hewitson, Chris Armstrong and Tony Schofield. It's all about masks and quotas at the moment, isn't it? If you want to get on the rant line, then DM us on Twitter or email me richard.thomas at 1530.com. Well, that's it for another week. My thanks, as always, to Rob, Neil and Arthur. The pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Ba-dum-bum-bum. Ba-dum-bum-bum. <laughs>